What a privilege it is for us to be able to be together to worship the true and living God once again. And I just want to say that we're going to begin a new chapter in John chapter 6. You could find your place there. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we gather today in the presence of our loving and gracious God, we turn our attention to a remarkable event in the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, we find the story of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. This miracle, the only one recorded in all four Gospels, holds deep spiritual significance and offer us, offers us profound insights into the nature and character of our Lord. As Christians, we recognize the absolute sovereignty of God and the importance of relying on his words as the foundation for our faith and for our practice. And so, as Christians, we want to continue in recognizing the reality of how God works in each of our lives. The feeding of the 5,000 not only demonstrates the divine authority and power of Jesus Christ, but it also serves as a vivid reminder of the sufficiency of Christ's provision and his compassion for his people. In this miraculous account, we witness Jesus taking the seemingly inadequate resources of a young boy and through his divine power multiplying them to meet the needs of a hungry crowd. But as we turn our hearts and minds to the word of God, let us remember that the same Jesus who miraculously fed the 5,000, is present with us now, ready to nourish our souls and provide for our every need. In this story, Jesus teaches us to trust in his ability to multiply our meager resources, to look beyond our limitations, and to fully rely on his loving providence. And so let's be thinking about these things as we glean from the scriptures. The things that God is not only able to do with the 5,000. But he's able to do, a, do the same thing with us. He's able to meet us where we are. So together, let us journey through this powerful account 
of Christ's miraculous provision and discover how this ancient story holds timeless wisdom and encouragement for each of us today in our walk with our God. I hope that your mouth is ready now as we read the word of God with expectation. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that pl- in the place, so the man sat. The men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their field. He told his disciples, disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We come before your word with great expectation. We pray that your word would go forth with power, helping us, speaking to our circumstances, convicting us, challenging us, building us up, that we might leave here changed people. We pray that your word, Lord, would get us back on the path that would bring you the most glory, Lord. Fix us, Lord. Fix, fixate our minds and our hearts on you. May you have all of our attention, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to help us. May we eat to our fill. May our souls be full. Lord, we pray all of these prayers in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I've entitled uh, this sermon, The Loaves and Fishes, A Lesson in Faith and Providence. According to John 5, beginning at verse 30 to verse 47, Jesus demonstrates his divine authority by healing and explaining that he is carrying out the Father's will. You remember that last week? Amen? Amen. He, he invites the authorities to consider the testimony of John the Baptist, the miraculous works that he performed, the scriptures, Despite the religious leaders' hostility and focus on earning each other's approval, Jesus emphasizes that a true understanding of God's law leads to a joyful covenant relationship with him. And so, as we move on into John 6, verses 1 through 14, we see Jesus' life-giving work continue. He continues to say that I am the life. I am the Son of God. I've come to bring life. This is my work. He's continuing his work. And so, in continuing his work, we see that Jesus Life-giving work continued through the miracle of feeding 5,000. This miraculous act further confirms his divine authority. The very things he was saying to the Jews, he's continuing to give testimony. He's continuing to show them that he is indeed who he says he is. So he's showing, he's confirming his divine authority, and he provides a powerful illustration of the boundless power and grace of God for all who believe in him. So in John 6, beginning at verse 1, the text says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. People were looking at what Jesus was doing. So we can see his fame is beginning to grow. They had already heard about him healing a man who was paralyzed for 38 years. The word got out. And then he begins to heal people. The word is still getting out. And people are wondering, who is this? And so... In this opening verse of John 6, we find Jesus and his disciples journeying to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. 
And at this point, Jesus' ministry continues to grow tremendously because of the miracles, because of the healings, because of his teaching with divine authority. And so people from all walks of life, including young and old, were drawn to Jesus because of the signs and wonders they had witnessed and heard about. Right? It's, it's as if they, they heard about it and then they begin to see and then they begin to wonder. And so people are following and the crowds, people are saying, come on, he's the one. Come on, the one I told you about. You can imagine all of the, the crowd just moving with excitement and moving and following Jesus and the disciples in wonder. Who is this? People from all walks of life were drawn to Jesus because of what they witnessed and heard. They were intrigued. They were captivated by his teachings and the hope he brought to their lives. People were sharing, he did it for me. I believe he can do it for you. They were Intrigue. Isn't that still true today? As we get into the word, we, we're intrigued with how God is working in our lives. We're captivated. How often do people get caught up in the miracles Jesus performed, but fail to have relationship with him? It's a type of crowd that in many ways, they want something from Jesus, but they don't want Jesus. Right? And so we, we, we have, even in our culture today, we we'll say Jesus was a good man. He done some good things. But when you press into them about the reality of needing a Savior and coming to know Christ for themselves, they say, I want his blessing. I don't want him. And so, how often do people get caught up? As Christians of many ages here today, we can take away several important lessons from just these verses. The first observation we see is Jesus' compassion and power. His miracles demonstrate his divine authority and his deep compassion for those who suffer. He came to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free and bring hope to the hopeless. The message is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago, and it serves as a reminder that Jesus is still present and active in our lives, offering healing and restoration. The second observation is the importance of following Jesus. 
The large crowd followed Jesus because they saw the signs he performed and recognized that there was something unique and powerful about him. Similarly, as Christians, we are called to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Believing in his power to transform our lives and the lives of those around us. What do we see in Jesus? How is he affecting our lives because of what we know about him? A lack of seeing him rightly affects how we believe. Knowing Christ in a crisis will always give us a sense of peace and provision for every Christian because of who he said he is, because of the promises that he have given us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is always with us. So knowing Christ in a crisis will always give us a sense of peace and provision. So what we know about God matters. And we could add what we continue to know about God matters. And so it's not a one-time event, but it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a continuance. It's an ongoing learning. It's a relationship. And so knowing Christ is necessary more and more. And that's why we study and meditate upon the scriptures. And that's necessary for every believer. We can't put it off like something else because the scripture says, God himself is life. And so we have to continue to live our lives in dependence upon him who is the life. The very thing that helps us to live. He is our sustenance. We don't go around trying to miss meals. We find a way. We will pull over to a gas station to get us something to eat. We don't miss meals, right? We will find a way. We will tear open the trunk for some snacks to feed ourselves for the physical nourishment of our bodies. How much more should we feed our souls? You see, we we just have to put things in their right perspective, right? We're coming here for God to speak to us so that we can make the necessary changes so that we can take advantage of the full benefits of being in Christ. There's a lot of things that Christians miss out on because we're not in the Word. We're not applying the word. We, we have to ask God for help and for guidance and for wisdom. So what we know about God matters. 
The third observation written within the text is the universal appeal of Jesus' message. The crowd that followed Jesus was likely diverse, consisting of individuals from various backgrounds, ages, and social statuses. Jesus offers a message of hope. He offers this hope for all who is willing to listen. He offers forgiveness and he offers redemption. His message transcends every age and culture and background. That's why even here today we see a popery of God's people. God is able to reach us where we are, no matter what our backgrounds are, no matter how much money we have in the bank, no matter what country we're from, no matter what school we went to. God is able to bring us all together and for us to be called his children because of what he has done for us and bringing us into the family of God. As Christians, we can take comfort in knowing that Jesus, his teachings are for everyone. And so when we share the gospel, it should not just be for someone who looks like us. It it shouldn't be just for someone who could identify with us. It shouldn't be for someone who could relate to us. It's not about us. We're to give the gospel freely. And to give it because God is able to save anybody through his message. And so we can take comfort in knowing that his teaching can reach the young, it can reach the old, it can reach the rich and the poor, the educated, the uneducated, and that he desires, he desires a personal relationship with each in each and every one of us in the same way. And so therefore, we're not to assume anything. The the man who smells and is dirty, everybody just passes him by. He, He could use it. He could use the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to give it to all. We're not to show any kinds of discrimination. We read in our text that those who were supposed to be the spiritual elite, they had somebody who was in need, and instead of them helping the person in need, they went over to the other side because they don't want to deal with, they don't want to get anything on their clothes. They don't don't want that smell, that stench to get get on them because they're, they're above that. See, Jesus is calling us up. That's easy. Everybody else is doing that. He's calling us up to become more and more like his disciples. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He's given us his example. So, Anyone who sees Jesus 
in an improper way will fail in knowing him and discerning his divine authority, which ultimately leads to a lack of appreciation for him as the son of God. When we don't see God rightly, we miss out on opportunities to be able to adore him in the way that he deserves. Because it's a lack of knowing, it's a lack of understanding, and that's why it's so important for us to continue to know more of Christ. The more we know more of Christ, our appreciation, our value from him will grow. Can't imagine missing church. Can't imagine missing the people of God and being with the family of God. I, I don't want that. I'm in covenant. I'm in relationship with God and with his people. The appreciation for the things of God, the things that he loved, will become the things that I love. You see? And so... It's necessary for us to have the proper way of understanding and knowing Christ. Next, verses 3 and 4, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Christ knew about the necessity of resting. In biblical times, mountains were often seen as sacred places where significant encounters with God took place. Here are some examples for, to bring to your remembrance from both the Old and New Testament. You remember Mount Sinai. Perhaps one of the most famous mountain encounters in the Bible, Mount Sinai, is where Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. The Israelites camped at the base of the mountain, and only Moses was allowed to ascend and communicate with God as the mountain was considered holy ground. Then there is Mount Horeb. After fleeing Queen Jezebel, the prophet Elijah retreats to Mount Horeb, also known as the mountain of God. Here, Elijah experiences a powerful encounter with God who speaks to him in a gentle whisper. Then there's Mount Carmel. 1 Kings 18, Mount Carmel is the site of a significant contest between, you remember, the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Elijah calls upon God to send fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice, providing God's power and sovereignty over the false god Baal. This event took place on Mount Carmel a place that became associated with divine intervention and God's triumph over false gods. See, mountains have significance in the Bible. So when Jesus says he's going into the mountain, 
We can connect that with the interventions that happens in the mountains because in the mountains, God speaks to his people. And then there's Mount Moriah. This mountain is the location of Abraham. You remember when Abraham and Isaac was going into the mountain and and Isaac said, Daddy, we're going to give a sacrifice, but we don't have a sacrifice. Abraham said, shut up, boy, the Lord will provide. Right? That's the place where Abraham almost gave Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord. Mount Moriah, Abraham's obedience and willingness to sacrifice his son demonstrates his faith in God. He was willing to go all the way. And it is on Mount Moriah that God provides a ram as a substitute sacrifice, further establishing the mountain as a sacred place. And then you have the Mount of Olives. You remember that was a location in the New Testament, particularly in Jesus' ministry. Oftentimes our Lord would withdraw. He would go to the Mount of Olives to pray and teach his disciples. It is also the location of Jesus' Ascension into heaven. It was on that mountain, the mountain of Olives, where the Lord said, I'll see you later. And he ascended into the heavens after his resurrection. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And then there's Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to a high Mountain where he is transfigured before them and they see a glimpse of his divine glory. Moses and Elijah appear alongside Jesus and God's voice affirms Jesus as his beloved son. So see, these examples demonstrate the significance of mountains as sacred spaces in biblical times where divine encounters, revelations, and manifestations of God's power took place. So, Jesus went up on the mountain and sat down with his disciples. He was drawing closer to his disciples. And so Jesus were preparing himself to teach and to perform a miracle in a setting that signified closeness to God. This setting also provided a quiet and peaceful environment away from the bustling crowds for Jesus to spend quality time with his disciples. Secondly, the mention of the Passover feast in verse 4 is significant because it provides a context for the miracle that is about to unfold. 
Passover was a major Jewish festival commemorating the, the Israelites' exodus from Egypt and their deliverance from slavery. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of thanksgiving. It was a time of reflection on God's provision and faithfulness. By placing the miracle of feeding the 5,000 within the context of the Passover season, the Gospel of John invites the readers to connect Jesus' miraculous provision of food with God's provision for the Israelites in their time of need. You see, the crowd, they have hunger pains. God will provide for them. In the time of the Israelites, God rained down manna from heaven. He provides. Then in John 6, 5 through 10, the text reads, With all of this going on, Jesus is in the mountains with his disciples, lifting up his eyes, Then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus looks up and he uses this moment as an opportunity to teach his disciples. You see it there in the text. Seeing that the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these people may eat? You can imagine the Lord looking at Philip. Looked up at the crowd. Hey, Philip, how are we going to feed these folk? The scripture says he said this to test him. Watch. For he himself knew what he would do. That That really speaks to the reality of God's divine power. Philip answered him. He was in kind of in the conversation there, kind of looking. Philip threw his little two cent in there. He says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Philip and Andrew demonstrated something. What do you think that is? Philip and Andrew demonstrated something. You could tell that they at least observed the situation based on the question. You can almost see them calculating in their minds the possibilities of being able to accomplish what Jesus asked them to do, and that is to feed all of them. They're trying to understand, but what are they missing? Philip and Andrew demonstrated their lack of faith, didn't they? 
They only saw what they could do. And that's the problem with some of us when we are in the hands of God, in relationship with God. We only see life through our abilities rather than who God is. It's just like a kid who is afraid of life, but every now and then he stands behind his daddy. And all fear goes away because daddy is in the building. Daddy is provider. Daddy is protector. And so here it is, uh, many Times we miss out in life because we're only considering what we can do without considering what God can do rather than trusting in him and putting our faith in him. So in John 5 through 10, it tells the story of Jesus testing his disciples. And isn't it a beautiful thing that God didn't say, y'all stupid. You didn't see me heal this man. You didn't see me uh, heal the sick. And you still are wondering, you still confused about what, we, what you need to do. But, but God didn't do that. And that's the beautiful thing about our Lord is that he attests us, but is not without with purpose. God is purposeful, purposeful in his dealings with us. So we can learn how to engage and learn how to deal with trials and tribulations and difficulties and pains and sicknesses. Whatever might come, we can say but God. Is that right? We can say, but God, because ultimately God is in control. And so this passage is a reminder to us. Even in the disciples, even with Jesus testing his disciples and performing the miracle of feeding the 5,000, this passage holds valuable lessons for Christians of all ages. You're not too young to put your hope and trust in God. The same thing God is asking us to do as adults, he's asking you young people to exercise your faith in God where you are. God is not asking you to do something you cannot do. He's asking you to believe, just as he has asked us to believe and trust in him. You have the same opportunity as a young person. Don't think that you're too young to exercise faith. You do it at a young age. You will save yourself from a lot of pain. There's a lot of benefits in believing in Christ early on in life. There's a lot of benefits. A lot of things you don't have to go through. A lot of pain you don't have to go through. There's a lot of privileges that come with believing in Christ early. We've seen it all throughout Scripture. We've seen it in a little ruddy old boy named David. Right? Everybody seemed like they were getting ahead. 
Sammy was trying to pour the oil on all of the brothers. And he said, it won't work. I don't know what's going on. Is there anybody else? They said, there's one more, but he, you know, he out in the field. You know, dirty, dirty old boy. He ain't worth nothing, you know. Go and get him. Let me just see. Let me just see. All just flowed down. See, what, what, what God has for you, can't nobody take it. Can't nobody disturb what's yours because God determined it before the foundation of the world and he decided it. Who can take anything from the hands of God? Right? He says, scripture says no one can pluck us out of his hand. No one is strong enough to take from God. So you see, the boldness and confidence we can live in it's not because we're strong, but it's because of he because because of he is strong. Right? So in these verses, we see this reality, and we see that in verses five and six the Lord lifts up his eyes, and in verses five and six, Jesus sees the large crowd approaching him. He asks Philip about providing the bread to feed everyone, but Jesus already knows what he plans to do, but poses this question to test Philip's faith and understanding. So he he wants him to learn something. So this serves as a reminder that at times God may test our faith to help us grow. God may test our faith so that we might mature in the relationship that we have with him. Isn't that what the scripture says? That the testing of our faith produces something in us, right? And so we're familiar with that. So this makes sense. In this passage, we see Jesus and his disciples faced with a large crowd of people who had come to hear Jesus teach and witness his miracles. Jesus being aware. Look how loving and kind our God is. Jesus being aware of the crowd's hunger asks Philip about food. But God already has a plan. But what we can see is that Philip's response reveals his limited perspective in calculating the things that's needed. And so he says, even if we gather all the money, it still won't be enough. It's as if he says it's impossible. Isn't that what he said in verse 7? Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be even enough for them to get a little. Philip's, we could relate to Philip's response. How many, uh, how many times have we been in difficult situations and instead of us saying we're going to trust God, we're going to say it's impossible. Taking away any opportunity for God to be at work in our lives. Not trusting, not putting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can relate. Amen? Oh, don't, don't, don't get, you know, soft on the amens now. <laughs> you amen for the good stuff. You know? Now we're talking about the difficulties that we all face, right? There are many times where we 
might need to trust God more than what we see. And isn't that exactly what the scripture commands? That we're to walk by faith, not by sight. That must be an ongoing principle and practice in our lives every day. So, Philip, he calculates the cost but fails to recognize the divine power that is right there in front of him. And that's the privilege we have too. If God said he'll never leave us nor forsake us, don't we have the same privilege of God being right there in front of us? Everything that we do, we do before the face of God. He does not miss a thing. He knows all of the details. He knows the ins, the outs, the highs, and the lows. He knows even the things we forget at times. But how often we don't take advantage of the one who has divine power. So what about us? Are we focusing on the material resources available to us and calculating God's ability on the basis of what we have and what we can do? Do we see life in that way? In that we're not trusting God, that there's no expectations because of who God is, but we're... Mm, we might, I don't know, we, we might, we might could do it. We, I, I don't, I don't know. Right? Rather than I'm going to put my trust and hope in God, I'm going to sleep tonight and rest in the reality that God in his providence is controlling all things and then lay down in sweet rest. Because God never guaranteed that we would know the ins and outs anyway. So why are we saying to ourselves that we need to know something in order for us to do something? When God says faith. There's so many opportunities out there and God says, oh, ye of little faith. So what about us? If that's true, then we are no different than Philip. We're also responding to all of our circumstances with a limited perspective, focusing primarily on what we have available to us instead of, I want you to get this now, instead of God's unmeasurable riches at his disposal. God is ready to pour out blessings, so much so we won't have any room to receive it. Do we live a life like that with expectation that our God cares so much about us that he'll provide all of our needs? So, this teaches us that as Christians we must look beyond our human limitations and trust in God's infinite ability to provide for our needs. Sometimes we think God got to use the doors that people have. But how many of you know God will make a door so that you can walk into? God will make a job for you, 
right? He will make a way for you, right? But the question is, do we live like that? We might, sometimes we collect it here, but we don't, we don't allow it to go through us. To resonate in our hearts so that it might move our hands to do things that would be trusting to God. That's what God was expecting Philip to do. That's what he was expecting his disciples to do. But it's comforting to know that God cares. Right? Philip, he didn't say, Philip, how stupid can you be? I threw your softball and you failed miserably. Swinging all over the place. Right? No, the Lord was patient and teaching and showing his disciple what he ought to know and believe. Similarly, Andrew presents the meager offering of a boy's five loaves of bread and two fish. And according to that, it would hardly be enough to feed such a crowd. And in John Verses 8 through 9, the text says, John 6, 8 through 9, it says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But notice what he says next. But what are they for so many? You see the mentality that he has, right? the faithlessness that he has. I got these two barley loaves and two fish, but, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing. I mean, we're, we're screwed, you know. But if he saw Jesus right, he said, Lord, we got two fish and five barley loaves. What, what you want to do? What you want to do? We can feed all these folks. We can feed every one of them and still have leftovers, right? That's what Jesus was calling him up to do, right? What, what, do, you, what do you think about this? But now he went the other way, right? He saw what he could do instead of what God can do. And so often we miss out on opportunities to exercise our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to build up our faith. And so how often... Have we thought in this way about our lives and the difficulties we face? But you know the beautiful thing? That today, we can change. Right? That's the beauty in all of this, is that we're able to experience new mercies. It's like when you wake up in the morning and it's... Ah, fresh air, and you see the dew all on the cars, and you're like, this is beautiful. Look at the trees and the birds, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fresh air, the brisk hitting your face, and you just, thank you, Lord. That's what we have when we confess our sins and admit our weaknesses. Lord, I, I wasn't trusting you as I should. Please have mercy on me. Give me the strength to go forward from this day on in faith. So 
Having the mind of Christ reveals to us the true nature of God. The Lord wants us to have his nature, meaning his attitude, by way of his spirit. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 13. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught with human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. In other words, this is not for everybody. Only those who are in Christ can receive the benefits of Christ. And that's why we plead to you who do not know Christ, who have not said yes to Christ, who have not come forward and say, yes, Lord, it is me. I need you. I want you as my Lord and my Savior. Lord, save me. Right? So people miss out on the benefits of Christ because they don't receive Christ. As Christians, we understand how to live because of the spiritual the spiritual nature of God which lives in us. However, we should not retreat back into our old fleshly, natural way of thinking and living. That being said, let us consider for a moment how Andrew is perceiving everything. Andrew brings forth the boy with five loaves and two fists, acknowledging the meager resources available. It's as if he says, you know, what are, what are we going to do with, with this? Right? And like Philip, we, questions, we question and we ask the same kinds of things. This is small. It sounds like us. You can hear us. It's not enough. What am I supposed to do with this? So forth and so on. So what this does, it highlights, we can relate to Philip. Because it highlights our tendency to underestimate God's power and emphasizing the importance of trusting in his divine provision. And so Jesus says, have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in that place. So they sat down about five Jesus gives them the instructions demonstrating his confidence and his power and his ability to provide for the people. He already had a plan. And so he is preparing to perform a miracle, setting the stage for an unforgettable lesson in faith and divine provision. God is setting them up for something that they have never seen before. Have you ever been there before when you've prayed for something and the opportunity come and you're like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. This is crazy. Right. We're able to experience that. We're able to relate to the things that God does in our lives. And God is right there at the moment setting them up. And so this verse encourages us as Christians to trust in Jesus' guidance and his ability to meet our needs 
even when circumstances seem impossible. Despite the disciples' doubt, Jesus instructs the people to sit down, preparing to perform this miracle and to demonstrate his power and his provision. We're able to see many of the lessons right there in the text. What are some of the lessons we see in the text? One point of application we can see in the text is to trust in Jesus. Even when faced with seemingly impossible situations, we must remember that Jesus is aware of our needs and has a plan for our lives. Our faith should not be limited by our own understanding, but should trust in Jesus' ability to provide. Another point of application is offer what you have. Offer what you have. God is not expecting you to offer for something you do not have or cannot give. So though the boy's offering of loaves and fish seemed insignificant, the little boy, the one who was in the background that no one paid attention to is the very one God used in all of this to be able to show a miracle to feed 5,000. Yes, that one, the one that is in the back that nobody is paying attention. The one who's sitting on the ground with his lunch. He's the one I will use so that I get the glory. So don't, don't offer what you have. This boy's offering of loaves and fish seemed insignificant. But Jesus used it to perform a great miracle. We must be willing to offer what we have, no matter how small, no matter how seemingly insignificant it might feel. Because sometimes the problem is with us. Sometimes we think so insignificantly of ourselves that we miss all of the benefits of who we belong to. Take off the dirty clothes. Live like a prince. Live like princes. Is that right? Princesses? <laughs> we must live like we know the king. So God's service, we must remember, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant we might feel in God's service, trusting that he can, this is what we must, we must trust that he can use our small offerings for his purpose. That's the beauty of it, right? We're not to look at our offerings in comparison to somebody else and then determine whether or not it's significant. Right? That, that's one of the problems we have is that we, 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 we look at our stuff and then we like, oh man, this ain't nothing. Because we're comparing ourselves to somebody else. And you know the crazy thing is, is that they're in need just like me and we both have the same spirit living in us. Why am I comparing myself to somebody who is in the same family? Right? It, it's, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense. Right? We have the same father. And our father, unlike our human fathers, he's fair. 
He's just. He has a plan that will work out just for us right where we are and will give us what we need at the proper time when he decides because he always does what is good. We got to receive that. We have to receive that. Let me, oh, let me hurry up. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, running out of time. Uh, I've ran out of time, sorry. So, um, I'm going to just say a little bit about verses 11 through 14. In these verses, we see how God abundantly provides. Jesus used that. He fed the 5,000. And we must remember that what we have is what we need. God will not put no more on us than we can bear. Like the boy offered the loaves and fish, we should trust God with our limited ability. Watch this, knowing that he can do immeasurably more than we can imagine. That's why it says in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work in within us. But you know what is also important for us to express grat- gratitude? Because before the Lord gave anything to anybody, what did he do? Scripture says that he gave thanks. Gratitude. Jesus gave thanks before distributing food, reminding us to always be thankful for what God has already giving, given us. In that first, first Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is what the will of God concerning you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So gratitude acknowledges God as the source of our blessings. And finally, I'm going to skip on down. Uh, finally, in verses 13 and 14, in these verses, we find the conclusion of Jesus' miracle, miraculous feeding of the 5,000. The disciples following Jesus' command gathered the leftovers from the meal, filling 12 baskets with fragments of five barley loaves. Isn't that kind of interesting? That everyone was provided for, even the disciples who passed out the food. They all had their own basket. And here's the crowd having witnessed this astounding miracle proclaimed. That, that's what normally happens, right? When there is a move of God, when nobody can get credit but God, it leaves us in awe. And what privilege we have in experiencing the awe of God when we go to the word of God, when we are amongst God's people we can't help but fall in awe as the people did. The scripture says that the crowd, having witnessed the astonishing miracle, proclaimed Jesus as the prophet who is to come into the world. 
And they remember Moses saying that one such as himself is coming. And the people said, ah, man, sucks. I remember what, what the scripture says. I remember as a kid, I, I was a kid, and it said that this is going to happen. That's going to happen. He's the one. So God's, appoint, God's abundant provision is a takeaway. The significance of the 12 baskets symbolizes completeness or wholeness. You think about the 12 tribes of Israel, right? It's, it's interesting that God would close it out with the number 12 baskets. Um, it's as if God took the mic and dropped it and walked off. So in conclusion, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 in John 6 through 14 serves as a testament to the limitless power and boundless grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we ought to look at John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. We're to see a lot of these themes in the text. As we reflect on the awe-inspiring event, let us remember that the same Jesus who multiplied the loaves and the fishes is present in our lives today, eager to provide for our every need, both physical and spiritual.